right, welcome back to Diversity on Fire. Our goal is to inspire you to think more deeply and act with more knowledge and compassion. We'll do this by sharing our open conversations on all types of diversity-related topics. I am super excited for today's guest, who I had the privilege of meeting a few years back at a business conference. He has his bachelor's in business and economics from San Francisco State University and has a wealth of experience in the fields of asset management and real estate, as well as many other individual skills related to team building, growth, and marketing. Joining all the way from the state of Utah, welcome to the show, Mr. Rolando Alfaro. Well, Miss Heather, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity. I am so excited we get to chat again. It has been I know, a right? While. It's been a while. <laughs> Back in the day when I almost missed my bus, <laughs> I almost did oh, miss my bus. Oh, yeah, to Houston that you're going to go see some family, right? Yep. My Uber driver drove really, really, really fast to get me to the bus station. And I got there and the lady's eyes got really big. And she's like, you know, we leave on time, right? And I looked at my watch and I'm like, yeah, can I get on the bus? (laughs) I made it. Open the door, please. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, that's awesome. So we talked a little bit. Obviously, the intro is just kind of like your, you know, business and, you know, I don't know. It's fun to me, but for most people, it's not that fun. But um, what about you? Why don't you start off by telling us who Rolando is? A little bit about your history and who you are as a person. Okay. So as you know, I'm an import. You know, I was born in El Salvador. Um, I was 10 years old when we moved to this country. My mom and dad decided to divorce. And my mom wanted to keep breathing, so we decided to leave El Salvador and move here. Uh, We moved in with my grandparents at the time. So, you know, here I am, a 10-year-old kid who grew up on a farm whose grandfather was a coffee plantation owner with seven plantations, 300 heads of cattle, you know, farms, six farms. I never had anything out of a can or out of a package, fresh milk, fresh food every day. Now, here we are in a different country. I don't know the language with a single mom. And, you know, all the food that we are getting is packaged or canned because we can't afford anything. I went from having three maids and not fixing my room to what's for dinner, which was a bit of an adjustment. You know, if I do say so, from from one extreme to the other, and it's just um, that that taught me a lot. But I don't want to dwell on that side of it because life is life, and it can happen to anybody. My story is no different than a lot a lot of other people that I know, or you know that you know. But that has helped me get perspective. Um, everything that I have now, it's been through hard work and just putting my nose to the grindstone. Unfortunately, as much as my mom would love to, she hasn't been in the position to help me the way normally Hispanic parents help their children because she's always been worried about keeping us fed, you know, and clothed, which is more than enough in my book. And so that's just a little bit about me. I've had a whole bunch of different jobs. If you look at my job history, I've been in IT, I've done construction, you know, I was used to be a union laborer. I've done um, financial marketing. I've been in financial firms, collection agencies, and now I'm in the world of real estate. And you've been in real estate for a while now. It's been 11 years. That I've had my license. Um, five of them were as a property manager. I used to be the regional manager for the largest privately owned company in the country. And I used to run the states of Utah, Texas, Georgia, and Minnesota. And now I'm just a realtor, you know, or a professional real estate consultant, as I like to call myself, quote unquote. Doesn't have this thing, you know, they don't think I'm dirty like a lawyer when you say it that way. And uh, yeah, I've been doing that for the past six years and it's been quite the roller coaster. I can only imagine. <laughs> so, especially the how- last couple of years. I yeah. So you came from El Salvador to California, correct? Where in California? To the Bay Area, San Francisco. To the Bay Area. Okay. And now you're in Utah. So how did you get to Utah? 
<laughs> I'm glad you asked. So I got my degree in economics in 2009, which was the worst time ever for anybody to have a business degree uh, to try yep. to break into that industry. And so, you know, 600 applications, two interviews. Uh, I had the opportunity to come work out here. A buddy of mine who owned the property management company, you know, his main headquarters was here in Salt Lake. And uh, he offered me the job six times before I actually accepted. And the reason why we ended up accepting, when I say we, because it was a joint decision with my wife, um, was because we, we understood one simple fact that if we stayed in California, in order for us to be able to raise a family the way we wanted to raise a family, one of us either had to rob a bank, win the lotto, or, you know, sell a kidney in India. And, you know, raising our children has always been our goal. That was always the deal. One of us would stay home with the kids. If it was her or me, it doesn't matter. But we couldn't do that in California. And so when I had this opportunity here in Salt Lake, you know, we decided to take it. Yeah. And I haven't been through a ton of Utah. I dr drove through a few times, but I have stayed in Salt Lake. And I will tell you that it's kind of like a snow globe in the winter. Like if you're in the city and you're it like, is. it's so beautiful. Um, the rest of the state, I don't have any grasp on. I don't know what it looks like. Just think national parks, what you see in the pictures okay. and the movies, the Westerns, that's Utah. Actually, you know, I think your wife took a video going through some weird, like creepy tunnel in oh, the you middle saw of the that? night. Yeah, she tagged you. So I saw it and I was like, where are they? And please don't get murdered because this looks like the start of a horror movie. Yeah, it's foresaw. You know, next thing you know, you wake up in the room and you're chained to the wall, right? But most of Utah's pretty rural. You know, it's pretty open. Lots of national parks, lots of states parks. You know, it's a camping, hiking, fishing, hunting, outdoor sports mecca for anybody in the country. So I'm thinking, because I'm just relating this back to you started off by saying in El Salvador you had, um, your family had a farm and like prairie land. Is Utah a little bit of getting back to that type of scenery? Would you, would you say that they're similar or? No, no, not at all. Because El Salvador, I mean, as far as the rural part of it, a little bit, because to me, Salt Lake, to be honest, feels like a big town, not a city. You know, to me, it just feels like a bigger town. Um, whereas in El Salvador, the town that I lived in was 5,000 people. I was a hillbilly with a mullet. Not that there's anything wrong with mullets or being a hillbilly or tight jeans, which can never catch me in now. But um, the temperature, the foliage, the, everything was more like Hawaii. Like Hawaii? Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, green jungles, monkeys. Okay. All sorts of tropical fruit. Awesome. And so 95 degrees and hot as hell. How much do you remember about, because, and I, I don't know how much we want to get into this, but it, it is a common theme that I've heard from a lot of people that have immigrated or come from different places is the, first of all, the overall feeling of insecurity because you're in a totally different place and you don't necessarily know the language. You don't necessarily feel like you fit in. But you also mentioned food insecurity. Not only was there an insecurity in knowing like where the next meal would come from, but you were also taking in very different things than you were used to. Do you remember what, like, I'm asking you to go back kind of a ways here, but like when you were a kid, do you remember what, like, some of the thoughts that were going through your head when you were experiencing that? You know, and I don't know if I did this unconsciously or not, but I didn't really dwell too much on that, on the negative aspects of not having or lacking or not caring. I didn't, I didn't really focus on that. Instead, for me, it was more of an adventure. I, I took it as an adventure, you know, like, here's something different. Here's something that I'm not used to. You know, I'm actually having bologna. When have I ever had bologna? 
you know, on, on bread that's like two pieces of a cloud, you know, two slices of a cloud. And so for me, I took it as an adventure, as a as a new, try something new, you know, rather than I don't have my mates, I don't, you know, I'm not going to a private school, I'm not, I actually have to fold my own clothes for once, I have to clean the apartment, I have to vacuum. I, I, I just had us on an adventure, so I didn't really focus too much on what we didn't have or had. It was more of a, let's just do the best that we can with what we have. That's a phenomenal mindset to have. And it's really good to hear. Yeah, let's just look at it as an opportunity and it's different. So let's pretend different is amazing. Did it suck? It did. I'm not going to say it did it because, you know, it freaking sucked. How many kids do you know tell you their mom that they don't like cake so that she doesn't have to worry about it? So she doesn't have to worry about it buying for your birthday because you know there's no money. And you don't want your mom to worry about where she's going to come up with a cake for your birthday, you know? So you would tell her you didn't like it? Yeah, I would tell mom, don't worry about the cake. I don't even like it. What do you want for a birthday? You know what? Hot dogs is good enough. So I made my birthday not a thing for my mom not to worry about. How old were you at this time? Eleven. So you're basically taking on kind of a grown-up role in that you're acknowledging what you can do to contribute to the household and to lower the stress level. And to top it off, my mom's family was not very welcoming. We were the redheaded stepchild, if you would. You know, we were not wanted and definitely not welcome. Now, why is that? Um, my grandma and my mom never had the best of relationships. And so when we moved up here, they took us in because, you know, that's family obligation. And it was done because, you know, we were family and they helped us out. And I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from that. They, they helped us out a ton. But at the same time, it was all grudging and it was all because we have to, you know. So growing up for me, it's a little bit different than most people because for us, it was always my mom, my sisters and I against the world. And I remember that my mom taught us, you know, you don't compromise. Compromise is weakness. You don't let people see you cry. And you do what you want to do, come hell or high water. Because nobody's helping you anyway, so you do what you want to do. If you can do it, do it. As long as it's good, as long as it's right, you go for it. Don't let anybody stop you. Well, that's actually a great mindset to have. I mean, not all of it. I don't like the non-crying thing. Yeah, trust me, being married and compromise, I've learned a few things. (laughs) Yeah. Your wife might have had a couple <laughs> things to say about that no compromise piece. Poor girl. I'm surprised she stayed with me. She did stay with you. I mean, seriously, yeah. <laughs> yeah, poor girl. So when you came here, you didn't speak the language. Do you remember that process of learning the language? Do you cause I I'm asking because I find it fascinating. I have a friend that came here, didn't speak a link of English, and the very next day after he arrived, him and his brothers and sisters started school. And I was like, mm-hmm. what? So, they would be, so like, uh, how, how? They put you in the ESL class, English, second, at least in California, since there's a higher population of Hispanics, you basically go to a class where the teachers talk to you in Spanish and they help you learn English. Okay. So it's like an, okay. Um, and so I started school, never remember when we went to school because when we got there, my mom's like, okay, do you want to be in fifth grade or sixth grade? And I asked, I have a cousin who's two weeks younger than me, who was two weeks younger, she passed away now, but she was two weeks younger than me. I'm like, what, what? What grade is Rebecca in? Oh, she's in sixth. Okay, so am I then. And so I didn't go to fifth grade. <laughs> oh, okay. Skip it on up. Yeah. So you graduated early yeah. then? Yeah. And then what happened, and this would help me a lot, and this is, this I think is pretty funny, is um, we lived a year in a town that was with a high Hispanic population. And so then my grandpa and grandma decided to separate, or my, you know, my family pulled them apart because my grandpa, not the paragon of manhood that I would say a man should be, you know, he was pretty abusive. Mentally, physically, you know, to my grandma and to family. And so they decided that it was better that we part away. So my grandma moved in with my mom, my sisters, and me. And I have an aunt who's three years older than me. She's like my older sister. 
So we moved into this house, you know, we, with government aid, of course, but it was a ghetto-ass house. We lived in the damn ghetto. I mean, across the street, there was a park, and every Saturday morning, the crack dealers, the weed dealers that were there, and I would go play basketball with them, you know? I was their 10th man, so they could have a 5-5 five and five every time. And uh, we moved to this part of town, but the part of town that we moved into was the Asian part of town, Samoan, Tongan, Chinese, Japanese, Korean, everything but Hispanic. The middle school that I went to, nobody spoke Spanish outside of the ESL teacher. In my ESL class, we had a Greek, we had two Chinese, we had somebody from Indonesia, and three Filipinos. So I learned to speak English out of necessity because nobody understood me. Literally, outside of that one teacher in this whole damn class, the whole damn school, nobody else spoke Spanish. Oh, my gosh. So that, that's a powerful motivator. So within the year, you know, I, I spent two years in ESL, eighth grade, I was in normal classes. Yeah. Well, it's a total necessity because I don't know if anybody can hear this coming through, but you're a very social person. So being isolated I to am, the point I of am. not being able to communicate with people is that's, you know, it's not, you can't do it. But also you gotta, you gotta remember Heather, the Rolando that you know right now was not the Rolando back then. Yeah. I still had the smart mouth and, you know, somewhat the same sense of humor, but I was more reserved. I used to get picked on so much because I was the kid that didn't speak Spanish, the small little, you know, Wet back, as people would call me, you know, that, and I used to get beat up a lot. I used to get picked on a ton. So for me, learning English, it wasn't so much about um, fitting in. It was about not getting my ass beat every day. Damn. So see, this is, and, and I would love to say that it's just kids that are mean because we're talking about when you were younger, but we all know and need to acknowledge that it is not just kids. No, it's at every age level. So it, it gets worse the older you get. It gets worse the older you get, you think? Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's because you understand it more? Um, well, I, but see, the thing is, like, when you look at me, you, for example, Heather, you're, I consider you a friend. You know, from the time that we spent, when you first saw me physically, do I look like your typical Hispanic guy? I, I don't know. No, maybe? I guess you're... I look like I'm half... I guess you're, look, you're looking for no, but I didn't... I guess I didn't think about it. No, no, no. Just... Yeah, exactly. But see, you don't you don't associate me with that automatically. No. You just know me as Rolando. Exactly. Yeah. Right? You're just Rolando. You're just a cool dude named Rolando. I say I'm cool. I don't know. If you're I, I thought you were. Yeah, you know, you're pretty cool. I'll keep the title. <laughs> you know, so it's just Rolando, but you don't really associate me with a certain background or a certain race or a certain demographic. You know, even right now here in Utah, they think I'm half Tongan as opposed to Salvadorian. They think I'm half Polynesian. Okay. Because you are like. Which I think is well, hilarious. I don't know. Because you have. Obviously, you you still have uh, an accent. You have a tinge of an accent, but you are. But if I told you I was born in East LA, your skin is very light. Um, yeah. But your hair is dark. I'm six two. You're you're tall. Yes. I'm six two, built like a wall. Did you say a wall? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So. Was this the same when you were younger, or do you are you saying it's worse now because people don't know how to place you, so you're kind of getting hate from multiple angles? It's, it's the latter because they don't know what I am. Okay. Like I remember, I was at the DMV. I was maybe 20 years old, and I'm in line to renew my license, which reminds me to renew my license. But anyways, that's a different subject. Um, so I'm sitting there in line, and behind me, there's two Mexican guys, and they're talking about me in Spanish, thinking that I didn't speak Spanish. Oh, look at this guy. Look over here with his basketball shirt. Look at his shoes. Oh, he thinks he's all that. Like he's Michael Jordan. Look how fat he is. Blah, 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 blah. You know, and I wasn't even that big. I was maybe 300 pounds, you know, 15% body fat. So I used to be very, very active. But here they are talking all this mess. And I'm just chuckling. You know, I'm, I'm just laughing. So finally turn around. I'm like, 
what did I do to you, man? And, you know, in Spanish. And they're like, you speak Spanish? I was like, yeah, I'm Salvadorian. I was born down there. <gasps> oh, okay, we got to go. And they just left the line and walked out. You know, they felt so stupid that they just left. You know, the rest of the people in the line, they're cackling and laughing because they also were surprised that I hear, here's this dude speaking fluent Spanish. So this is, I'm just taking this in because this is something that I guess I hadn't considered, but I guess I have heard it. I, I've heard it in, in relation to like black people that are white passing is what they say. They're white passing, but it's, yeah. but for them. Or whitewashed. Right. So it's like. There's an assumption that they get all kinds of more privilege, and so they're not black enough, but they're not white enough, and so they're kind of left in the in-between. And limbo. Yeah. Wow. Okay. What? Do you, how do you think, like, and this is kind of a big question, too, and I don't know if you've thought back and, like, tried to put pieces together, but, like, how do you think the way you grew up and the way you were treated, how do you think that influenced who you've become as a person, if at all? No, it's had, it, you know, thankfully my mom raised us well enough that there were points in my life where I really had some low self-esteem, but it was never, it wasn't a self-esteem about meaning that I was less than anybody else. It was never that. It was more of a low self-esteem of, oh, you know, I talk funny, I walk funny, you know, people don't like the way I, I look, you know, it was that type of self-esteem, not so much the me as a person, because me as a person, my mom raised me well in that regard. And so... It's helped shape me because I don't know if you know this or not, but I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you know, try to be a good little Mormon boy. Um, and so I went on a two-year mission to Houston, the ghettos of Houston. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. But the thing that changed and that helped was that before my mission, I, I, I try to please people all the time. And I try to stay away from confrontation be as less threatening as possible, less confrontational, you know, try to be the funny guy, diffuse everything through humor, you know, that sort of thing. Be the nice, sweet guy that my grandma would call me, right? I come back off my mission and I realize two things. One, I can be who I really want to be and if people like it, great, and if not, who cares, right? Then they don't need to be my friend. And two, I was sick of trying to be the nice guy for everybody. And so growing with that, you know, growing up with that, and then having that change, you know, after my mission, now that's the Rolando that you know. You know, he was born when I was 22. The one that doesn't give a damn about what people think about him. The one that's going to do what he wants to do. And the one that's going to take care of things the way he sees fit, regardless of what those around him think. You know, always within the confines of trying to do good and being good, you know, helping people. Not just go out there and be an asshole to everybody and that's it. No, that doesn't work that way. I'm not that type of person. And I always love helping people. Yeah. So what I'm getting, and I think this is, I think this happens maybe more often than we want to admit or acknowledge, but like if you've been through adversity, it's almost like a natural inclination to be the giver, be the nice guy, calm the situation, don't butt heads because you've seen it and you don't want to cause more drama. So because of that, it's like you almost stop standing up for yourself in a way. Which sounds awful, but it's like you're, you become the people pleaser. It's like, oh, okay, maybe you were racist towards me or maybe you treated me like junk, but I'm not going to stick up for myself because I don't want to make a scene of it, you know? And it's like... Yeah. That's why I got picked on so much during school because bullies would pick on me. They know that I would just sit there and be like, oh, leave me alone, you know, and take it. Whereas if the me now went back to school and had to redo it again, 
it would have been a completely different thing, you know, because I'm not taking anything from anybody, especially who are you to tell me things, you know, first, do you pay my bills? No. Do you care about me? No. So why should I care about what you have to say? You know, that mentality. Well, and it's so important that you were able to figure that out and navigate through that to, I mean, not that, you know, being a people pleaser, I think sometimes it sounds like a positive term. It's not. You can be a very kind, loving, caring, giving person. People pleaser Mm -hmm. is kind of like more of like a performance. Yeah. It's more like I'm going to do that. It's not necessarily because I want to. It's because I think it's what I need to do to get by. And I'm like thinking back because we haven't mentioned this yet, but you also are a dad. You have two kids. And I think it's so important that you were able to come to this new version of Rolando before they were born and now are able to kind of give them the demonstration of we don't put up with this type stuff, you know? Yeah. And, and being a dad, you know, with my, with my son, especially he's five and a half. Um, He's autistic, high, high functioning autistic. You know, he, he, he's a pretty sharp kid. I mean, there's very few things that, you know, with my wife that we try to run by him that he doesn't understand or catch. And it's kind of scary because at his age, you know, I, 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 I was able to read and write by the time I was three. I never read any nursery rhymes. I always loved reading Reader's Digest and watching the news in the newspaper. So with my kids, I'm having a problem because I don't know any nursery rhymes. I never read them. I never listened to them. You know, I hated Sesame Street. I hated The Muppet Show. I never watched them. So here I am now as a grown-up trying to try to relate to kids when I never really was a kid. I was a little old man. And so with my son especially, because he's so different than I am, because he's such an empathetic person, and he's so much about his feelings. He has all these huge, big feelings bottled in him that he lets out. And and to be honest with you, sometimes I don't know what to do. I get overwhelmed because, you know, with my with my upbringing, feelings, who gives a damn about feelings? It's all about results. Oh, you meant to do something. Well, did you do it? Yes or no? No? Okay, then that's all that matters. You know, that's the way my mom raised us. And so now here I am with my kid. And, you know, he struggles. He, he wasn't verbal until he was four. You know, his own sign language and his own language that we developed with him. And so now he talks and he, he says all these things and, you know, and, and I have a hard time understanding sometimes and then really clicking with him so I can help him, you know, achieve what he needs to achieve. And I feel that I, you know, it sucks because I feel like I'm not being a good dad for him, you know, because because of the way I was raised so, you know, regimented and so we don't do this, we don't do that. You don't show weakness. You don't show fear. Never let anybody see you cry to a kid who, you know, has all these big emotions. If I take away one of his Paw Patrols as a punishment, it's like the world ended for him, you know, and he feels so much from that. And it's hard for me to understand that sometimes. Yeah. So I, there's a weird, delicate, completely unknown to me balance of like being a go-getter and then also understanding that. So here's my thing. There's reasons and there's excuses and I believe they're different. And so sometimes I have a really hard time personally having empathy for people who I believe are making excuses for everything because it's kind of like you. It's like, did you get it done? Yes or no? And if the answer is no, the answer is no. I don't care why you didn't do it. The answer is still no, right? So it's really hard to navigate that. And I can't even imagine you being in your situation because we do. We, We learn how to be by the people that are around us. And when we're kids, when we're learning, the people that are around us are our parents. And depending on how that example looked, it may or may not help or hurt us in our future, which is now for us. (laughs) 
And in a lot of ways, the way my mom raised me helped me out. It's helped me out through a lot of things, you know, because, yeah, I'll be straight up with you, man. I, I did the run, jump, and swim together. We stayed in the slums of Tijuana three nights, and I do mean the shanty count slums of TJ, you know, before we were able to cross. We ran over a freeway. We slept on the side of a freeway my first night in the U.S. Then we stayed in a Motel 6, and then we caught a flight over to the Bay. Wait, whoa. Two months later. Hold on. You, that part I did not know. Okay. Can we rewind a second? So I've been to Tijuana. Sure. I used to live in San Diego, and of course, you know, it's like right right across the border, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Trust me, I know. So, uh, my first night was on the freeway in Hermosillo. And you guys ran across the highway. Like, that was your crossing? Mm-hmm. At 4 a.m. Okay. That's terrifying. And we slept on a dirty mattress under some bushes on the side of the freeway. Oh, my gosh. And so then, I guess now hearing that, having the mindset that you have in terms of being so grateful, even though it was vastly different, I guess, yeah, canned goods are better than the side of a freeway, Right. Like, it's all relative. You've had such an experience that... But even then, I didn't feel unsafe because my mom was there. Really? Well, cheers to your mom then. She sounds like a badass. You okay? Yeah. So here's the thing. We've been talking about like a lot of struggles and a lot of negativity, which I know we didn't even like get into. I I know you got a ton more, but I don't want to (laughs) harp on that because I also know that I met you at a business conference and you told me about a previous business conference. It was the 10X that you went to. I think it was the 10X that you went to, isn't it? Yeah, the first 10X. Yeah. So this is the other thing about you is like you're a go-getter. You have big goals. And as far as I understand, you're not afraid to work hard for them. So do you think that part of having that struggle in the past has helped build that mentality in terms of the resilience and the like, pushing and knowing like, hey, if I really want this bad enough, I know I can do it. Yes and no. It's a double-edged sword in my in my case. And the reason why I say it's a double-edged sword is that, yes, I have this ability that whatever I really, really want, I get. It doesn't matter what it is. I get it. I figure out a way. I figure out how to get it. You know, come on with a game plan. It's done. The problem is motivating me enough to get to that point. Because of all the struggles that I've been through, everything that we've lived, you know, even as an adult, um, it's always been the, I've, I've been okay. I don't have big wants. You know, I'm not the type of dude that's going to, I don't need a million dollar house. I don't need a $250,000 car. You know, I don't need to be wearing, I mean, I do have expensive taste when I can, but it's not needed if you understand what I mean by that. So the because of all the struggles and everything, money does not motivate me. Because I've been very happy without a single penny in my bank. I've been happy without a cent in my pocket. I've had lots of happiness, you know, not knowing what we're going to have for dinner, but I've been happy. You know, I was happy with my mom and my sisters, even though we were struggling and we were in Section 8. We never got food stamps, thankfully, but, you know, we were were hair's breadth away from it all the time. But money doesn't motivate me. And so now that to me is an issue because since money doesn't drive me, you know, I find it very hard to do some things. Like I have a, I have a, I had a coach. He's a good friend, and you know, he helped me out and he's helped me do a lot. And he, he's helped me get my head on straight and understand things better. You know, both as a husband, as a career person, you know, in all facets of my life. And I remember one time I was sitting there crying, belly aching. You know, my wife is about to quit her job. You know, she was making about seventy a year, and this is five years ago, so she's probably making way more now. But she was making seventy a year. We were about to have my son, Peter, and she left her job to raise Peter. 
And so the whole burden falls on me for the household. And I'm in real estate, right? And it's commissions. Exactly. It's a roller coaster. So here we are. We get to May, September. I mean, we're May, June. There's this conference in July. I My mom lends me the money so I can get a booth at this conference. She gives me the money. I meet this guy and for whatever reason. I walked up to him and I was like, you know what? Um, do you do coaching? He's like, yeah. I was like, you know what? Uh, you need to coach me. I don't know why I'm telling you this. You know, because back then, you know, I, I have over 220 credits in the universities from BYU to the San Francisco State to San Jose State. You know, you name the schools, I've been to them. And so I've taken a lot of psychology because I love psychology. I've taken a lot of art. I've taken up, I've taken up a lot of things, creative writing. And I ended up with economics, right? It's kind of funny. But, you know, I was like, you know, this whole self-help, all this do good and all that, that's for weak-minded people. I'm not weak-minded. Right, I know what I'm doing, and so we start coaching. And you know, it's July. My wife is telling me, "Hey, September, I either have to go back to work, or you need to figure something because you know we're done. I won't have checks coming in for maternity anymore." And so I'm freaking out. You know, I'm almost crying. This guy, he's like, and this is years later that we're talking. He's like, "Rolando, I felt so bad for you. I just wanted to give you a hug and tell you everything was going to be okay." He's like, "But that's not what you needed at the moment." He's like, instead, you needed a swift kick to the pants, tell you to get over yourself and get to work. And that's what we did. He's like, it sounded harsh, and I hated myself for telling stuff and being so harsh on you, but that's what you needed. He's like, because you were so caught up in this pity party and that you weren't seeing the things that you had. And he's like, and another thing I want to tell you, and I'm like, what? And this is, you know, years later. He's like, you're one of the best realtors I've ever met. You care about your clients. You fight for your clients. But yet... You get up to success, you shake success's hand, you give it a hug, and then you walk away. And I don't get why you do that. He's like, and you do that all the time. He's like, I just wish you would stop. He's like, just get it done. You can and you could be. He's like, but I don't know why you don't. Going back to your original question as the upbringing, you know, how does it help build me? So it's helping in some regards, but it's really dragged me back in it. Seriously? No, this is, the, I, uh, this is why we get along so well. We're so similar. Because when you're saying this, I have the same exact issue. Same exact issue. Money is not a motivator for me. I know how to make anything work. And it's like I have big goals, but at the same time, I'm okay. I'm like cool. Like I'm content and content is a bad place to be. And it's crazy because I know you've done these business conferences. I know you're like you know about like business building, entrepreneurship, all that stuff. I have a why. Oh God, I have whys on everything and they are seven layers deep. I know exactly why I want to do certain things, but there's something really oddly intangible about them for me. Like it's it's almost as though if I really succeed, I'm going to have to accept my success. Do you think that has anything to do with it for you? You know, to a degree, I think it is. Like for me, so um, the way, even though I... I, I I tend to be very right-brained. I'm also very left-brained. I'm very logical and calculating on some things. And unfortunately, this is one of those things that I'm very calculating on. Um, for me, it comes down to the proof of concept. Um, so with real estate, you know, I and I prove it that I can, that's good enough for me. And then I, I'm done, right? This is hilarious. So that's because, the yes, thing that kills me. It's exactly that. You know, I'm going to relate it to something totally un-business related. But um, so I've run half marathons before, right? And so, oh, you finish the half marathon and at the end you're like, I'm I'm never going to have a point in my life where I can't run at least three miles. And now it's almost like 
I know that I did it, so I know I can do it. So it's not as motivating anymore, even though I couldn't do it today. Exactly. I couldn't do it today. Exactly. It's the what is, what is, excuse me, if anybody out there listening is psychologist, um, a brain person, <laughs> making connections, we need your help on this. <laughs> yeah, we really do. I don't know. Diagnose us and give us a pill. You know, and the one thing that, so I don't have kids, but I know obviously one thing that a lot of people use as their why is their kids. Um, but I think what I'm hearing you say is like, your kids are good and you know they're good. Like you, you and your wife have set it up so that it's not like you're not looking to be millionaires. So you know you can make it. You know they're always going to be good and they won't struggle. So it's almost like not that they're not your why because they still are, but not to the level of you know what other people do. Yeah, you know, and in, in, in to a degree, you're right. But I've, I'm this year especially. Last year, as a buyer's agent, in the market that we we're in last year was rough. Especially here in Utah, we had the hottest market where you had appreciation rates of 33% on the property in one year. Let me put that into perspective. Um, your house is worth $500,000. By the end of the year, it was worth $678,000. That's how fast things have appreciated here over the last two years. Um, my house used to be worth $275,000 when my little girl was born two and a half years ago. Now, this house has doubled in price literally in two and a half years. This is wild. So as a buyer's agent... As a buyer's agent, because I usually work with a lot of first-time home buyers, that's 80% of my clientele because I love working with them. I love educating them. I love, you know, doing that. And then the rest is referral business, you know, from past clients. But it killed me. I mean, I only had 12 deals last year. I still made enough money, don't get me wrong, that we were okay. But I've had to pivot and become a listing agent, you know, and change the way I do everything completely. This year, I'm on track right now for nine closings. The year's not out. I still have a bunch of things hanging out there. We're not going to be homeless. You know, we're going to be okay. But at the same time, I am sick of just being okay. I finally got to that point that okay is not good enough for me. And and it's not that I want the money for the money's sake. So, hey, Heather, look at my bank account. Oh, look at my watch. Look at my shoes. If you see me, when you remember when you met me, did you ever see a name brand on me? I wouldn't have I noticed anyways. <laughs> I know, me too. I don't yeah, know. See, I wouldn't have noticed because I literally don't care. Don't care. About it. Like the shirts that I wear, you know, they're they're expensive, and the only reason why they're expensive is because I have to go to the Fat Boy store to buy them because you can't get them anywhere, and they gouge you at the Fat Boy store. So, <laughs> so you know, but you never see a brand, you never see where it came from because they're not paying me to advertise for them. One, and I don't care. I if I like it, I don't care if it's five bucks or two hundred bucks. I like it. It doesn't matter, you know. For me. My happiness or my status or all that is not tied into the material things. Do I like to get nice shoes? Yes, I love nice shoes because they last, right? And they're comfortable. Your feet don't hurt, especially when you have to walk around as much as I do sometimes. A comfy pair of shoes goes a long way. But, you know, that sort of thing. So now I'm, I'm to that point finally. You know, this year I'm like, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm sick of my wife worrying about how we're going to take care of it. I want her just to focus on the kids and not worry about where the bills are going to get paid, especially since she's the one that pays the bills. I just give her the check and she takes care of everything. So if ever, anything ever happens to her, I'm screwed. Um, or if she decides to leave me, I'm screwed. I don't know the passwords for anything. Um, so it's to the point that good enough is not good enough anymore. And money, I see it as a tool now as opposed to a you know status symbol or something else. No, to me now, I need money for certain things. You know, I need money to secure my retirement. I need money to secure my future. I need money to help people. Um, between you and me, one of my goals 
has always been there's um, something called the road home here in Utah where they take in a lot of homeless families to help them get back on their feet. And uh, one of my goals is for me to be able to go to to show up, especially during Christmas time, you know, and have them ask the kids what they want and not worry about a price tag for their gifts. Because I remember what it's like. My first Christmas, my first two Christmases were from donations from people here in this country. You know, I we got our dinner. We got everything, gifts. You know, we got them donations. You know, I'll write a list to Santa Claus, but this is what I got. So I would love to go there and just ask the little kids, you know, what do you want? Pick one thing. What is one thing that you want? And just get it for them and not worry about the price. You know, that's one of my goals. It hasn't happened yet because I'm a knucklehead and I keep walking away from success. But, you know, here, within the next year or two, I want that to be a reality. You know, and, and I'm not asking for anybody's help. I'm not even going to tell them who did it. I'm just going to do it. Because I don't really care if people know that I did it or not. It's not about that. You know? And so so that's what I need money for. You know, to be able to do more with it. Not just for myself, but there's so much need. You know, I... How many times have I have I sat there and looked at things and I'm like, if I only had 10 grand in the bank right now, I can open up this business and help out all these people, give them a job and build a company that they can go out and work with. I have investors that can probably do it. Well, but and you would be able to do yeah. it too, because part of what you like, I mean, you may need motivation sometimes, but you're a good motivator in terms of like getting people rolling, you know? I don't know. I just think that would be amazing. Maybe like, I love this idea about the kids because it's, it's something that I you know, it's in my history as well, being, you know, helped by other people. And um, maybe it's just do it for one person because then it'll give you that feeling. We try to find somebody who can help. Yeah. Just keep adding to that number every single year. And rather than like an influx of like, everything's 10 times better this year. It's like, 10 times better over 10 years because you did 1% a year. You know what I mean? Or whatever. Did I just did I just say something about – this is probably someone else's, like, business plan I just said out loud. Did I read that somewhere? You laughed. No. No? Okay. No, but you're right. I mean, no, there's a there's – um, I forget the name of the book. I, You know, since I've been to that conference with you, I think I've read over 100 self-help books. Oh, my gosh. Or, you know, guided books and business all that. Book, yeah. yeah. Um, my shelf is full of them. Like right here on my shelf, I have this right now. It's called Ninja Selling, you know, how to how to be more relational in real estate. Uh-huh. Um, I have Sell Like Crazy. I have the uh, .com Secrets. I have Words That Sell. I have, you know, Find Your Way, Find Your Why. The Road Is Never Easy. The Road Less Stupid, you know, just a few. Just uh, a few. Atomic Habits. Atomic yeah. Habits, yep. And, and so I'm reading all this, and I try to incorporate this. And what I want to do is because... The education that I've given myself over the last five years is worth way more than the education that I got to get my degree in economics. It's worth more in value. It's worth more in practicality. And it's worth more because I can do more with it. This is what I say when people, I had a roommate um, that was, sounds like what you you labeled yourself as previously, like you thought that self-help was for like small-minded, not small-minded, weak-minded. He just hated self-help and he, but he would go and he would pay a university for like a degree on a degree on a degree. And I'm like, cheers to you for that. Like, I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that, but also at the same time, business books and figuring stuff out on yourself, physically doing things in the real world, like atomic habits and like putting things to use 
is so invaluable, so invaluable. And it turns out you don't have to have a 70 to 80 to $150,000 student loan to pay off after that. Or more. That's on the low end. Oh, yeah, that is probably in the low end. So what are you working on now? What are you what are you passionate about? What are you working on now? Okay, so my latest project right now, um, I'm, I, <laughs> you're familiar with the way real estate works. It's pretty much like insurance where, you know, you find the company, you hang your license with that company, right? Yeah. And then you can you can do business. Um, so I'm in my fourth brokerage in two years. <laughs> I've done a lot of brokerage changing. Uh, but now I actually found a brokerage that I actually feel like I fit. Okay. I feel at home. Um, and this, the reason why I like this brokerage a lot too is it allows me to have a TV show in Spanish. We have a TV show that is a half-hour show that airs nine times a week on Telemundo here in Utah about real estate. Where we go in, we take a topic, we talk about it, we showcase homes, you know, and, and also in English. Um, and in English, it's on ABC4. You can see it right there. Okay. Utah Real Estate Essentials. Yeah. So, I, you know, if I have a listing, I come out on both shows. But I'm usually on the Spanish one all the time. And, and not that I want to be a TV show or none of that, but it's just I love educating people. You know, like you said, I love coaching. I love driving. You know, I'm, I'm good at that. And and I think at the end of the day, that's what I would love to do, just be like a motivational speaker coach, because I think that would have more impact on people than what I'm doing right now. But at the same time, I am really good at what I'm doing right now. If I focus on it, <laughs> once we focus on it, I'm great. <laughs> we just got to stick with it long enough to produce the results that I need. So what I'm working on now is um, buckling down, making – or reaching that potential that I know that I can, that I, you know, high five once in a while and just do that on a consistent basis so that I have the income and the money to do those other things that I want to do. So for the next five years, there's nothing but real estate for me. You know, I'll breathe, sleep, eat, nothing but real estate, put it away, take care of all the debts that I have, get my wife that security, get a house with a backyard so my kids can play because I don't have a yard right now. You know, my, 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 my boy, he's special needs. He has sensory issues where he needs to be in motion all the time. So in our family room, we have a trampoline, we have a swing, a ball pit. You know, we have all these things where if we had a backyard, it would be easier for him to cope with these things. Yeah. You know? And so that's the goal right now. That's that's what I want to do. That's that's not so much my why, because like you said, I know my boy's going to be fine because I'm going to be there come hell or high water to make sure that he is. Yeah. And he's never going to go through what I went through. He's never going to, you know, never going to have to go to the secondhand store to buy clothes because that's the only thing he can afford. I mean, we do that now just because he's growing so fast that <laughs> I want to pay full price for clothes Yeah, that, you know, he's not going to use for more than a month. But other than that, you know, we do it because it's a choice, not because it's a necessity. You want to have and, a choice. And that, that brings me happiness. Yeah. Yeah. I have a choice. You know, we can go here and get him that or we can go here and get him that or we can go here and get him that. But it's up to us. It's not because, oh, we only have for that. I love it. So that's that's what I'm focusing on. That's awesome. So um, final two questions. Are you ready? Yes. All right. What is the one thing <laughs> <laughs> what is the one thing you wish more people knew about how hard it is to break generational patterns? Oh, we were talking about this before we started. Um <clears throat> as a person that's caught between two 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 modes of thinking here. You know, like we were talking with my kid with his special needs and with his emotions and how I find it sometimes difficult to connect on that emotional level just because I never cried in the movie. I've cried in two movies. One, the Transformers movie in the 80s when Optimus Prime died. I was nine years old and I cried. Um, and the other one, 
I forgot what it was, but it was also like a sci-fi movie, and I cried, you know, because my favorite character. The only two movies I've ever cried in. But after Peter was born, I watch movies, I watch sports, you know, I get choked up when they're singing the national anthem. I get choked up when I'm watching, you know, um, when I'm watching The Last Samurai, the scene, you know, where he Katsumoto's dying and, you know, he's up in my, where before I saw it and dry eye, nothing. Now I'm sitting there getting all choked up and holding back tears and I'm like, where is this coming from? What are these things that I'm feeling? These feelings, I don't know what to do with them, you know? But at the same time, it's pretty cool because it's, it's, it's a part of life that I shut myself out to completely. But now that I'm experiencing it again, it's kind of scary because I don't know what to do. I don't know how to react. I don't know how to take it in. But at the same time, my boy's helping me because I see it through his eyes and it's helping me connect with him a little better, you know? And so with the generational gap, I just wish that people understood that it's not as easy as it seems because I can say whatever I want. You know, I can spit a great game, but it, action is what matters. You know, what you do with that is what matters. And so it's really easy just to blah, 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 blah. But it's really hard to break away from those patterns in your head that you've had in there for so many years. That that's been your reality. That's been the truth to open yourself up to. This is the truth now. That's the one thing I wish people knew. It is hard. And I think it, you're right. It is It is so hard. And first step is acknowledging that it is a pattern, I think, and that it is like a cycle that you're going through. And then, you know, being open to crying during the movies. I started crying more when I'm starting to get older at movies. And I'm like, damn, is this old age? Or like, what is happening right now? I know. I don't know, I don't know what to do with it. You know, I'm like sitting there like, is this smoke? There's no smoke. Oh, damn. Uh, the dust. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. What f- are five words you would use to describe yourself? Man, you really you really ask the easy ones, don't you? Five words to describe myself. Honest, upfront, forthwith, loyal, and determined. Well, those are very, all of those are very honorable words. Maybe I, I'll give you the honorable patch for all of those words. That's fantastic. Well, the way I look at things, Heather, your word is your bond and you're only as good as your word. And if you're a cheater or a liar, it doesn't matter. You know, with my clients, just the way I treat them, you know, my word is my bond. You don't know how many washers and dryers I've had to purchase, how many refrigerators I've had to buy because in the contract, I've missed it. And yes, my clients look at it and sign it, but they were relying on me for information. I had a client, hey, Rolando, did the buyers ask for the fridge? No. But comes to find out at the closing table that they did ask for the fridge and I missed it on the contract. And the stupid thing was $4,000. So what did I do with half my commission? I, you know, tears going down to Lowe's to pick out a fridge to put into a house because it was my mistake. You know, I couldn't expect my client to leave his fridge there after I told him he didn't have to. You know, and I'm sitting there choking. And those are real tears, too, because that hurt right here. You know, $2,500 fridge that I'm the way better than the fridge I have personally, you know, that I bought on sale for 900 bucks at Best Buy. But here I am putting in a $2,500 fridge for complete strangers that are not going to take care of it because I missed it on the contract. Yeah. And I did it. Why? Because that's what you do. You do what's right regardless of the consequence. Yep. You bite the bullet. Where um, do you want to uh, give us some links uh, where people can connect with you and find you? Do you want people to follow you? Um, do you want new stalkers? <laughs> <laughs> Let me bring it up. You can find me on Facebook, um, you know, Rolando Alfaro. I'm pretty easy to find on Facebook. Uh, you can also go to Rolando underscore SLC on Instagram. You'll find me there. Uh, Rolando underscore SLC for Twitter. Um, my website, www.yourhouseutah.com. 
that'll point you to my, you know, website for real estate. And yeah, uh, yeah, all my contact information is there. I'll point you to my page with my email, my phone number, anything. And if I can be of help to anybody, it doesn't have to be real estate related. Awesome. You know, just if you need somebody to help you out with whatever, I'm there to help with whatever. Awesome. I appreciate that. And it was so good having you on and uh, chatting again. We'll have to do this again. I know. It's been fun. And that's a wrap for October. Our Latinx voices. Can't wait to chat with them more. And we will definitely be revisiting this subject and people from the Latinx community more and more and more in the future. Thank you so much for again listening, guys. I hope today kind of caused you to think a little more deeply about what you have in your life and how you can be more appreciative of the situations that you are in and find the positivity where possible. Don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you're listening now so you never miss an episode. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Diversity on Fire. As always, we would very much appreciate a five-star review on Apple Podcast or Podchaser if you're enjoying the show. And please share the show with everyone you know so more people can join in these important conversations. As long as it's good, as long as it's right, you go for it. Don't let anybody stop you.